Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth, Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Today is 9 August, Sunday. Time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. We got uh, our first category is Israel. Got a nice long article here, kind of a summary of some things we've talked about in the past month or two. From Epic Times, time to reassess the China-Israel economic relationship. While China and Iran are reportedly close to concluding a long-term agreement on economic cooperation, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago I mentioned that, Israel should examine the potential threat that deal may pose to it and reassess its policy. This deal between an economic partner and a mortal enemy should be an alarming wake-up call. Nagel and Dubowitz said, Nagel is a retired brigadier general and a professor at the Technion Israel Institute of Technology. Although the details of the China-Iran deal have not been publicized, there is speculation that China will allegedly invest $400 billion over 25 years in the Iranian banking, telecom, energy, and infrastructure sectors in exchange for heavily discounted Iranian oil. The negotiations of the Sino-Iran agreement started in 2016 after Chinese leader Xi Jinping visited Iran and both countries signed a joint statement on strategic partnership. This deal, if signed, will weaken the Trump administration's maximum pressure policy on Iran and will help Iran to circumvent the United States sanctions imposed on it after the United States withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. Thank goodness our president did that, but it looks like it may be for not now. China will obtain access to strategic infrastructure such as railways and ports in Iran which are located at the crossroads of the Middle East and Central Asia through its Belt and Road Initiative. Iran seeks to lean on China for its high-tech authoritarian surveillance state model, which will allow the Iranian regime to tighten oppression on its people and increase the regime's chances to remain in power. Considering that Iranian leaders have repeatedly threatened to destroy the state of Israel, Iran's development of nuclear weapons makes this threat even more real. Chinese investments in Israel pose a risk to it and its allies because they will give the Chinese regime access to strategic technologies such as uh, artificial intelligence, edge computing, autonomous vehicles, robotics, and big data that can be used by the Chinese military. In addition, the CCP is also the most dangerous adversary of the United States, Israel's most valuable ally. Chinese investments in Israeli infrastructure of strategic importance, such as the new port at Haifa, the port of Ashdod, underground tunnels and control systems in the northern Carmel Mountains, and Tel Aviv subway system, are being constructed by the Chinese as a part of the Belt and Road Initiative. The new port of Haifa, after coming online in 2021, will be handed over to a Chinese company that will operate it for a period of 25 years. An Israeli naval base is located adjacent to the port of Haifa. The port itself is often visited by the U.S. Sixth Fleet of the U.S. Navy, which conducts military exercises there and uses the port to support Israel in the event of war. The proximity of the Chinese port to U.S. naval assets is a problem. 
Recognizing Israel as the startup nation, Chinese investors make significant investment in Israeli startups and use these investments as an essential source of technology to build next generation weapons. Chinese investments account for roughly 10 to 15% of Israel's economy. So they got themselves in a real box with that. The U.S. is uh, not liking this. This Brigadier General is right. He's saying we should reassess this before they get in deeper. They're at 10 to 15 percent of their economy, and it's only going to increase unless they pull out of that now. So we're going to see where that goes. And part of the Roden Belt Initiative is because Israel is in a position where if you take the uh, goods and bring them in through the Red Sea to the south in a lot and then put them on a train you can take them right up to Haifa and then you can get them into the Mediterranean Sea so that's one reason why they want to be there and they want to have all of that infrastructure is so that they can use it to get through the country well I could see how that could be used against Israel when an attacking country comes in and uses it against them so we'll just see what happens with that in the next couple months from Jerusalem online Israel coalition on verge of collapse who didn't see this coming? The biggest issue at the moment for the coalition is passing a budget. After Prime Minister Netanyahu and alternate Prime Minister Gantz signed the coalition deal in May, they had promised that the unity government would pass a two-year budget, but both parties are struggling to come to an agreement. Netanyahu is currently pushing for a one-year budget, while Gantz does not want to back down from the two-year agreement stipulated in the coalition deal. If Israel does not pass a budget by August 25th, coming soon to a day near you, it will mean an automatic election in November. We've already gone through, what, three in the past year? So it could be a problem. We aren't really managing to function as a good coalition. Since at the moment there is no stability in the coalition, the deterioration will only continue, and it has throughout the week. This was earlier in the week, but it's a good article to get a basis of what's going on. We are at a critical juncture where we need to decide where we are heading. If the decision taken by Gantz and Netanyahu is that we aren't continuing to have a government, we'll need to try to establish an alternate government or, or go to elections. We'll see where that goes. From MIG News, Netanyahu allowed to resume air travel. Netanyahu has authorized the resumption of air travel by mid-August. So if you have plane tickets, you know, for September or October, you may be able to go. We'll wait and see how that is. If you have plane tickets that were issued to take you earlier, like May, then you haven't got reimbursed yet because I still haven't even heard anything from them. And now that's been since February to August. And, you know, their website... Every week I check and it keeps saying the same thing. Sorry, we're not open and blah, blah, blah. So whatever, LL, they got my last money. I'm not going them again. Uh, from Christian News Today, a reminder, I said it last week and I'll say it again. Uh, we're starting a line-by-line -line commentary of the book of Revelation on 12 August. Today is the 9th. That means it's uh, Monday is the 10th. It'd be Wednesday, 12 August, and uh, it'll start with a one-day introductory section and then after that the book of revelation is 404 verses long so it's going to take a little bit more than a year to get through but uh you should enjoy it if you follow along with that just go to the superior word website you'll see the word today you just hover over that and it'll bring down today's post and if you miss a day and you want to go back you got to figure out how to get to that by going to the writings and then to the uh new testament and then etc etc and eventually you'll find it but that starts on 12 august from the Christian Post, 
Trump's personal attorney backs Pastor John MacArthur after he defies church restrictions. Good for John, but uh, we'll see where this goes. I read another article just, I think it was yesterday afternoon, that uh, now Los Angeles is saying that they're going to shut off the electricity and water to churches that don't comply. But at least we have these people working on behalf of MacArthur. Pastor John MacArthur is facing legal action after openly defying California's restrictions on church gatherings. Now the embattled pastor is receiving special counsel from President Trump's personal attorney, Jenna Ellis. You know, my question is, why isn't this being waged against every church? Every church should be open right now, and they should all be defying this order. And we've got a couple of them over in California, and the rest are just weak, and they're not even challenging it. But let's see here. Religious freedom expert Charles Lee Mondry as well. I stand firm with Grace Community Church, its elder board, and Pastor MacArthur and Biblical Truth and the protections American churches are provided by our Constitution, Ellis told the Christian Post. I look forward to advocating on their behalf and hopefully encouraging other pastors and churches to also have the courage of Pastor MacArthur to stand firm that church is essential. The legal support comes as Grace Community Church received a cease and desist letter from the city of Los Angeles threatening the church with a daily fine of $1,000 or arrest if they continue to meet for indoor worship services. Last month, California issued a measure that banned indoor operations, including at houses of worship in many other counties across the state. MacArthur publicly declared this move an overreach and after prayer and counsel with his elders, decided to reopen his church despite the edict. In a blog posted to his church's website, MacArthur wrote, in response to the recent state order requiring churches in California to limit or suspend all meetings indefinitely, we, the pastors and elders of Grace Community Church, respectfully inform our civic leaders that they have exceeded their legitimate jurisdiction and faithfulness to Christ prohibits us from observing the restrictions they want to impose on our corporate worship services. That following Sunday, July 26, MacArthur stepped up to the pulpit and was met with a standing ovation. Good job to the few Christians left in California. From PJ Media, I would assassinate Jesus of Nazareth, says TA teaching at UCSB's religion department. Over the weekend, a teaching assistant at UC Santa Barbara tweeted that if he were sent back 2,000 years in a time machine, he would assassinate Jesus of Nazareth before Jesus' ministry. Now, this guy doesn't really understand theology because we'll talk about it in a minute, but it wouldn't make any difference. But Tim Snaidiker, I guess is how you pronounce that, a doctoral student in religious studies, responded to a question on Twitter. If you were dropped 2,000 years back in time with nothing but the knowledge you have now, what would you do? Andrew Trask asked. Easy, I would find and assassinate Jesus of Nazareth, Snydecker tweeted. Such a claim may seem bizarre. After all, Jesus suffered death in the crucifixion only to rise again. But the teaching assistant made sure to point out that he would kill Jesus before the Savior's ministry began. Well, here's your first error. If Christ was crucified and rose again then the fact is that he is Lord, he is God. And so he's a peanut head even saying this because you see the logic there, but we'll go on. Theologically speaking, it would be really important to get him before his calling and ministry begins. So that gives me roughly a decade to make it to Palestine, locate the man and make my move, Snydecker 
explained. I don't want to be the heroic Judas avant la lettre before the concept existed, that means. Snydecker appears to have deleted his account, but Catholic traditionalist Ben LeBlanc captured his tweets. After the tweets and before deleting his account, the teaching assistant changed his profile to read, Tim has repented. Now he wants to save Jesus. Christian author Rod Dreher noted that the UCSB Religious Studies Department has posted a statement backing the Black Lives Matter movement. No surprise there. That statement grounds the sanctity of human life in many religions, especially the Abrahamic faiths. In Jewish, Christian, and Islamic traditions, human life is holy because God is holy. Leviticus 19.4, and then they cite the Quran. who cares about that? And then 1 Corinthians 3.16. Not only is Jesus a human being, but he is also God. So Snydecker's tweets may doubly violate the Religious Studies Department statement. So he's violating the statement, but his idea is that he would go back before the ministry began and kill Jesus. What is the problem with that? Anybody here explain that to me? You can't kill God. It's, yeah, God's plan is going to be thwarted. But even if he killed Jesus when he was 10, Jesus had no sin. And so he would have resurrected because the wages of sin is death. So it doesn't matter what age he is. He didn't sin to the end of his ministry is the point. But he didn't sin at all. This is why little babies don't resurrect is because if somebody kills a baby in the womb or a baby dies at three days old or 10 days old, what's the problem? It's called inherited sin. Everybody inherits sin, right? That's the way it is. That's a concept that is taught explicitly in the Bible because if not, little babies would come back to life. Only Jesus was born without sin. That's because his, what's that? They tried it then and they couldn't do it then and they ain't going to do it now. That's right. Jesus Christ was born without sin because his mother was a human. He's fully human. His father is God. Sin transfers from the father to the child. Every human being here, every human being that's ever existed has a human father. And because of that, that's the sign of circumcision. It's a picture of cutting the sin nature. That's why they circumcised the males in Israel. He is the fulfillment of that sign. Because he had no sin, the sin is cut in him. No sin transferred from father to child because his father is God. It doesn't matter when you went back and killed him. This guy is a peanut head. Anyway, that's just a little theology for you. We'll go on from Islam today. Times of Israel. UAE announces successful startup of first nuclear plant in Arab world. Well, here they just sent something off to Mars, and now they're starting a nuclear plant. The UAE announced the startup of its Baraha nuclear power plant, a first for the Arab world. UAE first nuclear reactor at the Baraha nuclear energy plant has achieved first criticality and successfully started up, tweeted Hamad Al-Ka'abi, the country's representative to the IAEA. This is a historic milestone for the nation with a vision set to deliver a new form of clean energy for the nation. The UAE started loading fuel rods into the reactor at Baraha in February after regulators gave the green light for the first of the plant's four reactors, opening the way for commercial operations. So now we may have, they're talking about because of this, a nuclear race in the Middle East, people making their own nuclear uh reactors and then from there getting into other types of nuclear development we'll see where that goes from abc lebanon now i got this article before lebanon exploded okay i was going to include this 
from last week because it's very good. Same thing with the next article. And then all of a sudden something happens. So I'm going to give you a progression of what's going on in Lebanon. Remember, this is from before the blast. Lebanon becomes first country in the Middle East and North Africa to enter hyperinflation. Lebanon could face its biggest crisis since its civil war. Its inflation rate exceeds 50% for 30 consecutive days. The sharp rise in prices for goods and services pushes the country further into crisis. High inflation means many goods have become unaffordable. There's no middle class anymore. The Lebanese rely heavily on imports, which constitute 60% of consumed goods. Because of the very high correlation between importation and consumption, the spike in the exchange rate to the dollar then translates into a massive increase in retail prices. Clothing and footwear items alone have seen a 345% annual increase in prices. In addition, the lockdown measures taken to tackle the coronavirus pandemic resulting in the shutdown of small businesses and massive layoffs has pushed the country to the brink. According to Zater, more than half of the Lebanese population is living under the poverty line as a result. Now, 345% for shoes. I don't know what shoes cost nowadays. I haven't bought any in years, but we'll say $18. <laughs> Buy a pair of shoes for $18 and multiply that times 345%. You're paying a lot of money for a pair of shoes. And then you've got this other problem bringing people down to the poverty line. The World Bank estimates that 155 thousand households are living under the extreme poverty line. If you compare the situation before and after not only COVID-19, but even before the revolution started in October 2019, now people are depending on NGOs, non-government organizations, because the government doesn't have any plan for these people. While the Lebanese authorities have pledged financial aid to the poorest 43,000 families, there are worries that it didn't reach the right people. The list of data for the families was so old, some of them were already dead or not living in Lebanon anymore. Sounds like Democrats voting, but that's what they got there. Now, imagine this. They had this problem, and it was only getting worse before this blast. Here's the second article. Jerusalem Post. Hezbollah looted Lebanon, and it will cost $93 billion to bail it out. This is before the blast. The economy is in its tailspin. COVID-19 has taken away remittances the country needs, and Beirut is effectively defaulting on bonds. The study notes, the major problem in Lebanon appears to be the shadow economy controlled by Hezbollah, referred to as the system. It appears that Hezbollah siphons off pieces of the economy amounting to between $500 million and $1 billion every year. Hezbollah also increased its role in Lebanon in recent years with more clout in parliament and a stranglehold over the presidency. It also has a parallel terror army to the state. Basically, it controls the country's foreign policy and has an arsenal of 150,000 missiles, allegedly with new precision-guided munitions supplied by Iran. So then, after that article, there's a detonation in the port of Lebanon. What do we have? Jerusalem Post. Israeli ambassador warned UNSC, that's United Nations Security Council, about Hezbollah control over Beirut port. Speaking at a special news conference a year ago, it's not like they weren't warned. July 2019, at the UN, Israel's then ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Dannon, joined the then special rep for international negotiations, Jason Greenblatt, to talk about the fact that the Iranian regime is using the port of Beirut for military purposes. 
They use commercial companies, mainly from Europe, to support Hezbollah to develop its missile program, Dannon said. Unfortunately, the port of Beirut has become Hezbollah's port. In the years 2018 and 2019, Israel found that dual-use items are smuggled into Lebanon to advance Hezbollah's rocket and missile capabilities. Dannon told the UN Security Council, Iran and the Quds Force have begun to advance the exploitation of the civilian maritime channels and specifically the port of Beirut. The port of Beirut has become the port of Hezbollah. Now that was reported last year. They told these people, nobody listened. Iran is the instigator behind this. Hezbollah is the recipient of it. And now we have all of these people dead. We've got an entire city that's been laid waste. New York Post, Lebanon's grain supply decimated in Beirut explosion. Beirut's massive ammonium nitrate explosion leveled Lebanon's main grain storage silos, leaving the country with less than one month's worth of reserves, according to officials. From the Times of Israel, up to 300,000 left homeless by deadly blast in Beirut, governor says. All right, so Emmanuel Macron went down there and he... uh, it basically is offering to take up back over. It was under French rule for years and years, but they cannot govern themselves. So we got Macron down there. We've got, fortunately, the whole world seems to understand that Lebanon is a powder keg and they are going hopefully to step in and take care of this problem. There's going to have to be some uh, agreements made. We'll give you this money if you get rid of Hezbollah, etc. Or it may go the other way and Hezbollah may take over the country and then become a greater threat to Israel. It's very hard to say what's going to happen, but it is a very sad situation because Lebanon, despite having lots of Muslims there, is also a highly Christianized country. Now, a lot of them are into the Orthodox stuff and etc., but uh, there are many Christians there. And so we're just going to have to see where this goes. From the Daily Beast, it says, riots in the rubble. Beirut explodes in violence. Protesters gassed after deadly blast. So there you go. We got one problem on top of another. The people are hungry. They've already got an economy that is devastated. As I said, that was before the blast. And now they're facing this and they are upset people. So people need to step in quickly and get this resolved. From ABCAU. Auburn Gallipoli Mosque granted coronavirus exemption for 400 people to celebrate Eid al-Adha. I bet you, you will not find such an exemption in the Christian churches. But here you go. Hundreds of Muslim worshipers have marked one of Islam's holiest days at the Sydney Mosque after the New South Wales government granted it a temporary exemption from coronavirus restrictions. New South Wales health said exemptions were only granted in exceptional circumstances. It said the mosque had a thorough COVID-19 safety plan. The mosque will split attendees into four areas with no more than 100 in each. Up to 400 people were allowed inside the Auburn Gallipoli Mosque in Sydney's West under the one-off exemption. Under New South Wales coronavirus restrictions, places of worship are limited to 100 people or one visitor per four square meters. The mosque's president, can't pronounce his name, said those attending the annual festival of Eid al-Adha, also known as the Festival of Sacrifice, would be subject to temperature checks, sign-in sheets, and it would be mandatory to wear a mask. 
Well, once again, you got these stupid laws that say you got a building and you can only have 100 people in the building. Regardless, okay, so you got one that's the size of a postage stamp, like the superior word, and we fit 100 people in here, which we couldn't do, and then it's okay. Or you've got some church with 8,000, 9,000 capacity and only 100 people can go in. And they got the same peanut head stuff going on over there, but they provide an exemption for the Muslims. I, I'm sure that they're not going to do that for the Christians. If I'm wrong, send me an email and I'll choke it up and I'll say I was wrong. But I just don't think that'll happen. From the Times, this is a good one. This is the UK. This is a smart move. Police may drop Islamist term when describing terror attacks. Yes, the police are looking at dropping the terms Islamic terrorism and jihadis when describing attacks by those who claim Islam as their motive. Proposed alternatives include faith-claimed terrorism, terrorists abusing religious motivations, and adherents of Osama bin Laden's ideology. So that's their suggestions for getting rid of the politically incorrect scene. The reform was requested by a Muslim police organization that blamed the official use of Islamist and jihadi for negative perceptions and stereotypes, discrimination, and Islamophobia. You just go pick up the Quran and read it, and that's what it says. This is what they do. Mongolia today from Xinhua. Mongolia reports no new COVID-19 cases for the third consecutive day. Before I read this, every time I report on one of these, I keep thinking to myself, it sounds so good, but eventually the dam is going to bust and they're going to have a problem. If you're immune to it, like Sweden did, and they now have almost or they have achieved her immunity. Okay. That was reported again this morning. Maybe I'll talk about it next week, but if you don't get that, it's eventually going to come into the country and it's going to spread. And when it does, all the people are going to die that would have died anyway. It's just prolonging the inevitable. But here we go. Mongolia reported no new COVID-19 cases in the last 24 hours, making the third consecutive day without new cases. The country's NCCD said, we tested a total of 306 people for COVID-19 yesterday, including two suspected cases of it in Zamim Ud Som of Mongolia's southeastern province of Dornogovi, and the results were all negative. Meanwhile, five more patients have recovered from the disease, raising the total to 230. Mongolia has registered a total of 291 confirmed cases, which are all imported, mostly from Russia. No local transmissions or deaths have been reported in the country so far. Like I said, it's just a matter of time, and then we'll be reporting on it, and it'll be a sad thing because people think that they're protected from this in some way or another without getting herd immunity. It's not going to happen. From Daniel 12 Technology, France 24, work begins in France to recreate process that powers the Sun. This is a great article. I can't wait to see if this is going to work. 14 years after receiving the official go-ahead, scientists began to assemble a machine in southern France that will seek to prove whether nuclear fusion, the process which powers the Sun, can be a safe and viable energy source for Earth. The groundbreaking multinational experiment, ITER, has seen components from all corners of the world in recent months. The components must now be painstakingly put together to finish what is dubbed by ITER in promotional material as the world's largest puzzle. The experimental plant's goal is to demonstrate that fusion power can be generated sustainably and safely on a commercial scale. Fusion is safe 
with minute amounts of fuel and no physical possibility of a runaway accident with meltdown. Further, the fuel for fusion is found in seawater and lithium, abundant enough to supply humanity for millions of years. A pineapple-sized amount of this fuel is the equivalent of 10,000 tons of coal. The ITER machine will be constructed from about a million components, and initial experiments are set to begin in December 2025. Though a fusion meltdown cannot occur, like the sun, there remains the possibility of the unit going supernova. If this occurs, the entire solar system would be destroyed in less than nine minutes. Okay, I added that last sentence in. It's not true. From, my mom was looking really scared there for a minute. Huh, I'm just seeing if you are paying attention. Zero Hedge. Ford uses robot dogs to map plant human surveyors are no longer needed. You got a plant with all this shelves and you know, it just goes through and you don't need any surveyors. Ford Motor Company is set to abandon traditional human surveyors for robot dogs with sensors to laser map a production plant ahead of retooling. Ford partnered with Boston Dynamics to digitally map its Van Dyke transmission plant in Michigan. The data will enable engineers to retool the plant for future products. The ability to use robot dogs outfitted with sensors is much timelier and cost-effective approach than using human surveyors. Equipped with five cameras, the robots can travel up to three miles per hour on a battery lasting nearly two hours and will be used to scan the plant floor and assist engineers in updating the original computer-aided design, which is utilized when we're getting ready to retool our plants. Scanning one plant could take two weeks. With Fluffy's, the robot's dog's name, with Fluffy's help, we are able to do it in half the time. A typical digital scan of plants costs around $300,000. Ford claims the robot dogs can do it for a fraction of the cost. Good stuff. Revelation Plagues. From Weasel Zippers, Gretchen Whitmer blocks GOP bill that would have kept coronavirus patients out of nursing homes. She's doing what Cuomo did up in New York. Michigan Democrat Governor Whitmer vetoed a Republican bill that would have kept coronavirus patients out of nursing homes and placed them in entirely separate facilities, an effort aimed at protecting those most vulnerable to developing serious complications from coronavirus. The bill was a direct challenge to Whitmer's admin's current handling of nursing homes during the pandemic, which is focused on caring for those with the virus in isolated spaces of existing homes. About 33% of the state's deaths linked to the virus have been nursing home residents or employees, according to state data. Now, I said this when we went through this with Cuomo, and I'll say it again. This is intentional murder. And the reason why this is, is because they know that these people are going to die and certain things are going to happen. There will be the taxes on their uh, money that they died with, okay? Families that inherit money generally tend to take that money and do what with it? spend it. That's correct. And so that money is now back into the economy. And so you're benefiting by getting rid of people that cost a lot of money. They're old and they take up a lot of space and the state has to pay this. They're benefiting by getting taxes from the death and they're benefiting by getting the next generation to spend all the money that they have inherited. And so this is an intentional way of boosting an economy that's been destroyed by Democrats. 
from San Francisco Gate. Coronavirus-sniffing dogs dispatched at Dubai Airport. Last week, we reported from Germany that they were thinking about doing this and they were testing it and they might have it out in the air. But Dubai already has it. Here we go. In the UAE, all arriving passengers must submit to COVID-19 testing prior to their trips and show negative results to be admitted into the country. But this week, Dubai International Airport. Every airport in the world has a three-digit code. Ours is, anybody? That's right. It's SRQ. I will give you a Lamborghini Revontone Roadster if you can tell me what the three-digit code for Dubai Airport is. D-U-B. What? D-U-B. D-U-B is not correct. We have anybody else would like to try this? D-B-I. D-B-I is incorrect. You fail. Please leave. Anybody else? Okay, it's DXB. Nobody gets this. My friend Seth sent me a couple of them. We've been handing them out for answering good questions during Bible. I thought I'd try it during the Prophecy Update, and it didn't work. So it's DXB. Okay, they started using police dogs for on-airport rapid COVID-19 testing, which reportedly can produce results in minutes with 92% accuracy. Now, last week, Germany's still trying this out. They're testing it, and they were at 94%, but I'd rather have them out there doing it at 92%. Forget the 2%. Earlier reports of using dogs to sniff out the coronavirus proved that the concept could work in test environments. But this appears to be one of the first instances of it being put to real use in a real-world situation. Dogs have also been able to sniff out several other diseases that can affect body odor, such as cancer or malaria. This is great news for travelers since getting results from labs can take hours or even days in some cases, which is enough of a hassle for anyone to say no to a trip. While the dogs are only deployed in the UAE now, the concept could spread. Zero Hedge. There is no proven effectiveness. Netherlands refuses to mandate mask wearing in public. Yes. The decision was announced by the Netherlands Minister for Medical Care following a review by the country's NIH. Following a resurgence in cases over the past week or so, the Dutch government has decided it will instead seek better adherence to social distancing rules. Because from a medical perspective, there is no proven effectiveness of masks. The cabinet has decided that there will be no national obligation for wearing non-medical masks. The Dutch government insists that it's strictly following the advice of the experts in the so-called outbreak management team, which doesn't believe in the general use of masks. Dutch virologist Jap van Diesel from the National Institute for Public Health and the Environment said that like infant baptism for Christians, masks can lead to a false sense of security. Okay, I added in the, the baptism part. When wearing masks, he did say, I'll read it without that. Environment said that masks can lead to a false sense of security. And that was the first thing that popped into my mind, just like infant baptism. When wearing masks, people might not follow other social distancing rules, like keeping their distance, which also help prevent spread. Mask wearing may also prompt people to touch their face more frequently, putting them at risk of accidentally infecting themselves while adjusting their masks. And if you have a beard, you love to touch your face all the time because you got this wonderful soft pillow to play with. Anyway, for morality today. Oh, you know what? I'm going to do something right now. I forgot at the beginning of it because we were doing some things and we were just getting started when they came in. I didn't write it down, but we have some visitors here today from Georgia. And it is um, Mrs. Lester, Joyce, is it? And her two grandchildren who are Abigail and Joshua. 
And so I want to welcome you. I'm sorry for not announcing you at the beginning. She even emailed in advance, which most people don't do. They just show up and then I'm like kind of surprised. But uh, I was wondering when they walked in, is that them? And sure enough, it is. And it's a pleasure having you here. So welcome to you. Okay, let's see. What do we have here um, for morality today? From cancer.org. ACS updates cervical cancer screening guidelines to start screening at age 25. Well, that sounds good. The American Cancer Society has updated its guidelines for cervical cancer screening. The new guidelines are for people with a cervix with an average risk of cervical cancer. So they will no longer say women. They now say people with a cervix. That's right on their... What's that? Which would be... That would be women. But they can't say it. And that's right on their website, cancer.org. The American, what is it, Cancer Society says that you have to be a person with a cervix to get cervical cancer. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, it's discrimination, all right. From the Christian headlines, NARAL endorses Biden, says he'll expand access to abortion, allow taxpayer funding of it. Another reason why, if you're a Christian and you don't vote, You're a pretty poor Christian in my assessment. All right, from Christian Post. More youth are dying of suicide overdose than COVID-19 during the pandemic, the CDC director says. So let's just keep doing this to people until they're completely beside themselves and I'm not gonna participate in it. I don't go anywhere with a mask and it's not going to happen. That is not true because if you wanna go into the bank, I go to Bank of America, they have a guard that stands in front of the door. And you cannot get in unless you have a mask on. Then he opens it. Well, you have to go to the bank. So, unfortunately, five minutes a week, I wear one of those stupid things. All right. From Great Yarmouth Mercury. Anybody know where Great Yarmouth is? No, it's not in Massachusetts. In the country of England. And it's on the, uh, what's this, the eastern side? Is that Yeah, the eastern side. You go up the coast and it's in the area of Norfolk. Okay, so I'm going all around the world to get you great information about things, and my friend sent this to me who lives in Great Yarmouth. The rise in antidepressants shows impact of lockdown on mental health. They're having the same problem there. The number of antidepressants prescribed across east of England was 11% higher at the beginning of the lockdown than the previous year. And the four areas with the highest proportion of antidepressant prescriptions across the Midlands and east of England were all in Norfolk. So if you're in Norfolk, your chances of getting uh, addicted to prescriptive medicine is pretty high. From our other category, from the Epic Times, Seattle City Council moves toward slashing police funding. They talked about it, now they're actually moving toward it. The City Council's busy week included several meetings and hearings dealing with defunding proposals. Council members introduced amendments to the current budget that would affect the police department, including reducing funding to reducing its homeland security, public affairs, and school resource officer units. That sounds smart. Transferring some positions to different agencies and slashing funds and directing them to other efforts like community-led research. A new council proposal would shift much of what the SPD currently does to a new civilian-led Department of Community Safety and Violence Protection, including 911 operations. They're heading down a one-way street with a giant semi coming in the opposite direction. From Fox News, Chicago homicides increased 50% in 2020, 139% in July alone, the data shows. From Zero Hedge, car theft hits record high in Los Angeles. 
A new report reveals that 5,744 vehicle thefts occurred between April and June. That's just April and June, up 57.7% from the same period last year. You want to know why? Wait till the end of the article. The California Judicial Council's passing of a new $0 bail policy was another contributing factor to the surge in thefts, which meant most nonviolent crimes had no bail requirements as a way to mitigate the spread of the virus in jails. People are seeing that they're not going to stay in jail, especially for car theft. So what's happening is we're seeing repeat offenders. Here's the last line. I told you it was coming. Crosstown describes in one instance, a man was arrested three times in one day for stealing a car. Epic times. Shootings spike in Portland following elimination of gun violence reduction team. The city saw 63 shootings through July 26 compared to 28 in July of 2019. So from 28 to 63 because you got rid of the team that takes care of that stuff. From the Daily Caller, Portland recorded more homicides in July than any month over the last 30 years. Yes. Mail online. Hand over your cell phone if you're attacked. Minneapolis police issue new advice as they struggle to cope with less officers and surge in violent crime since the death of George Floyd in the city. Instead of protecting yourself, they just say, give your stuff to these people. Minneapolis police are down 10% of the force since the killing of George Floyd. Homicide shootings and robberies have all increased dramatically in the city. Yahoo! Homicide spike in 50 largest cities across the nation. I guarantee that almost all of them are Democrat-led. Across the nation's 50 largest cities, homicides are up 24% this year, totaling 3,612 so far. In 36 of those cities, the homicide rate increased by double digits. Zero Hedge, crime is skyrocketing all over America and cops are killing themselves. Zero Hedge, after ending police contract, Minneapolis schools quietly post job listings for security guards. Oops, they had a surge in crime. And they can't get the cops now to come over because that's not politically correct. So they're hiring private people. From the Free Beacon, July breaks gun sales record. One of the country's leading gun makers saw earnings triple as gun sales once again shattered previous records for the month of July. July 2020 saw an estimated 1,795,602 gun sales, a new record and an increase of 133% over July of last year. From Fox, first time gun ownership skyrockets amid riots, increased violence across country. You can't really be too safe, they say. From Epic Times, France halts ratification of Hong Kong extradition treaty. Good job, France. France has decided to not ratify its 2017 extradition agreement with Hong Kong after Beijing imposed a draconian national security law on the territory. From Zero Hedge, Bank of Ireland. Anybody want to go to Ireland and invest your money? Bank of Ireland is now imposing negative rates on cash held in pensions. Yes. The bank is starting to impose negative interest rates on cash held in pensions. The bank is applying a rate of 0.65% on pension pots, which means customers will now pay the bank $65 on every 10000 held. Oh, good. We have no plans to charge negative interest rates for our personal customers, but given the way everything happens, like COVID, so unexpectedly, it is not something I can rule out forever. So there you go. Zero Hedge. Yeah. Former Clinton press secretary urges Biden, whatever you do, 
don't debate Trump. <laughs> now, listen to their reasoning, though. They got to hide it somehow. Listen to their reasoning. Appearing on CNN, Joe Lockhart followed an op-ed urging that Biden will be consumed by having to fact-check everything Trump says. Whatever you do, don't debate Trump, Lockhart wrote in the piece, adding that Trump has now made more than 20,000 misleading or false statements, according to the Washington Post. It's a fool's errand to enter the ring with someone who can't follow the rules. Talk about, well, yeah. Biden will undoubtedly take heat from Republicans in the media for skipping the debates. But it's worth the risk, as trying to debate someone incapable of telling the truth is an impossible contest to win. Trump will take the truth and destroy it, and Biden will be in the position of correcting him over and over again. I don't think he should give him that platform. No mention, however, of the fact that many on the left do not want Biden to debate Trump because they know Biden is prone to complete brain freezes and his own untruthful statements, such as a recent assertion that 120 million Americans have died from coronavirus and 150 million have died from gun violence. That's the whole nation. We don't have any nation anymore. A recent poll found that only 54% of Americans believe Biden is capable of debating Trump. The other 46 are completely insane. And the survey also found that almost a third thought it would have no impact on Biden's campaign if he refused to debate Trump. Yeah. So here they are. They're setting up a false narrative and then they're running with it so that when they say we're backing out because he's untruthful, everybody says, oh, well, that makes sense. Trump can't tell the truth. And so we're just going to accept it. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's right. From the Washington Post, the truth of media. Okay, I've got a less work here for you. Let's see if you can figure out what article we're referring to. In Holland, you can show your face when you're about in public space. Stand six feet away, no mask need display. It's more freedom than is in this place. Yeah, good job. Okay, got a couple of ironies for you and we'll be finished. This is called The Great Escape. Anybody see that movie? Steve Steve McQueen, thank you. That was a great movie. Anyway, okay, here we go. The Great Escape. If you've never seen it, go back. It's probably on one of Netflix or something like that, and you can watch it. Good movie. All right. Uh, Mail Online. The Great Escape. Mother, 51, faces jail after audacious attempt to single-handedly dig a 35-foot-long tunnel to free her murderer son from prison in the Ukraine. Yeah, so she gets the cell next to him now, right? That's the great escape. And then Mail Online. This is the great escape. Drug smuggling cat. They found heroin tucked in here. Somebody was using it. Drug smuggling cat who was jailed after being found with heroin and SIM cards tied around his neck escapes from a cell in Sri Lanka. Yes, the great escape. Such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.